Well, we have now officially entered the Advent season, and we're looking forward to Christmas as we, we lit the candle. I don't know, others of you have rituals. Anybody here watch the Christmas movies? You started watching your movies yet? Yes, and so we all start doing these different things, and I know Christmas can bring with it, you know, unexpected bills, it can bring with it family drama, lots of busyness and other stuff going on, but I love Christmas. I'll just go on record and say that. I love this time of the year. One of the things, I love shopping. I'll just admit it. I love shopping. Yesterday, Emily and I were out on Jonesboro Road. This was the picture at Bath and Body Works yesterday, right? The line was out the door in the rain right when the Georgia game was starting, right? It was crazy. I had to go inside to see what was going on. It was candles. They had one thing on sale, and it was $8 candles, and people were lined up. It was crazy. I love shopping. I love the people watching, doing all that stuff. But I don't just love that. I also love the eating. Anybody love the eating in here? I love the eating. Cookies. Chex Mix, all of that peppermint bark and peppermint hot chocolate, all that stuff. I love all those things. And then one of the things I love about Christmas are the carols of Christmas, the music, the soundtrack that goes along with the season. And I love those old songs, those old Advent hymns like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I love the 80s music, you know, Alabama Christmas. Anybody? <laughs> Alabama Christmas. I love the new stuff. I love all of it. And one of the things that's interesting about Christmas season is that, you know, during the year, families fight over the radio. They fight over what station it's going to be. You know, I like this. I like that. Everybody has in their own headphones. But at Christmas, it's like things change a little bit. And then suddenly, everybody's able to agree that, okay, we'll listen to Christmas music in the month of December. Somehow, we all begin to listen to the same songs. And I love that. I love that. So I'll drive around. I'll have, you know, Pandora on. I got my little custom Pandora station with all my Christmas favorites. You know, 104.7, The Fish has Christmas music all the time. And I'll just be jamming in my car, singing along. But there's one thing you need to know about me and Christmas music, and that is that I love singing Christmas music, and I'm good singing along as long as I have the words. Because I am the world's worst. You know, if I have the song, I can kind of catch on with the words. If I'm in here, I have the screen. If I'm, you know, at a traditional church, I have the hymnal. But if I don't have the words, I I honestly, I don't really know the lyrics to a lot of songs. And it drives Emily crazy. And so the other day, we were on our way to our small group. And uh, she was testing me. She would call out a song name and tell me to sing it. And I would try a cappella. And it was terrible. And so she would say, you know, like, uh, Jingle Bell Rock. Rocking around the Christmas tree, let the jingle holly sing. <laughs> you and me, but like, right, I don't know the words. Somebody, what's another song? Yeah, okay, you don't want to hear me sing anymore. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know the words. If I have to do a cappella, I usually know like the first line, and then after that, I get kind of lost. Unless I have the words on the screen of the radio, then I can kind of catch on. And I think one of the reasons why this happens to me is that in the busyness of the Christmas season, there's all this running around, going to all these parties, shopping, doing all these things. A lot of times for me, the carols of Christmas just kind of become a soundtrack in the background. It just kind of becomes background music. And I don't often slow down and pay attention to the lyrics, the stories, and the significance of the words in the midst of those carols. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I know a lot of us, right? We just kind of put on the track because it's a Christmas tradition. And we don't take time to pause and to really dive deeper into the lyrics, into those stories, and into the significance. 
And so this December here at Harvest Point, what we're going to do is we're going to slow down. And we're going to dive deeper into some of our favorite Christmas carols together. We're going to dive deeper into their lyrics, into the the Bible passages that they connect with, and we're going to discover again the story and the significance behind some of these famous songs. And now, one of the things you have to realize with a lot of the carols that we love and sing at Christmas is they weren't written by people who are trying to be famous. These weren't people trying to get record deals back in the day. A lot of these songs were actually written um, a long time ago, and we don't even know who a lot of the writers of these songs are. And they weren't writing so that they could make a name for themselves. They were writing so that they could communicate the story, the good news of Jesus Christ. A lot of the songs were actually written for people who were largely illiterate. They couldn't just open up the Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2, like a lot of us do at Christmas time, and read it because they couldn't read. And so these songs were a means in which they could convey the story. They could convey deep theology to people who might not otherwise know. And oftentimes these carols were sung outside of the confines of the church to help pass this good news along. And that's exactly the case with the carol that we're going to be looking at this morning. The carol that you just heard, the first Noel. And when it comes to the first Noel, we actually don't know who wrote it. It's an anonymous carol, and it's likely to have been written in the 1700s. But the first recorded instance we have of it is in 1823 in a work called Some Ancient Christmas Carols. And since then, it's begun to take on a life of its own and begun to be sung all around the world in many different languages. And so if you're like me, when you, when you hear this song and you come across it, the first Noel, the first question I have, you might have, is, well, what does Noel mean, right? And it can be complicated because Noel in English is derived from Noel in French, which is derived from Natalis in Latin. But the simple answer is that Noel simply means birth of our Lord or Christmas. And so what this carol is doing is it's retelling us some of the scenes and some of the story behind that very first Christmas. And if you're familiar with the song, then you know that the very first verse focuses on the shepherds and the angels, but pretty much all of the verses after that actually focus on the magi, the wise men. And the song has nine verses in total. We're not going to we're not going to sing them all. We're not going to go through them all. We often sing, you know, two to three of them. But most of the verses focus on the story of the Magi, like a couple of verses we just sang. They looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light, and so it continued both day and night. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. And you know how it goes after that. Noel, Noel, no. Wow. I, I was really, I was like, they're going to jump in and sing with me. Not, come on, let's do it together. Noel, 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 Noel. Born is the king of Israel. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was great. I'm glad. We don't have to be scared of singing here. We're, we're going we're to have fun in this series. Born is the king of Israel. 
And, and what this song is doing is it's retelling the story surrounding Jesus' birth. It's actually found in Matthew chapter 2, where we find some stuff going on after Jesus has been born. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2 a little bit more deeply. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to let you know that we have a free Christmas gift for you. There are free Bibles out in the lobby, and we'd love for you to take one of those on your way out or grab one on your way into worship next week. And so in Matthew chapter 2, here's what we read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said to them, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened up their treasures presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, sometimes in an effort to kind of sanitize the Christmas story and make it seem conflict-free, we kind of, we kind of skip over this story of the Magi and of Herod. Because you can see the conflict kind of brewing up right from the very beginning of, of this scene. Right? These magi who would have been wise men, which is why we call them wise men, they would have been highly educated, they would have been intellectuals, likely trained in astrology or magic, things like that. They came from the east. That's why you oftentimes see them kind of depicted in different types of garb than everybody else at the manger. And so these magi, they've traveled from a long way away and they're so important that they've got an audience with King Herod, which probably wasn't easy. But they have an audience with the king, who's currently king over all of the Jews. And they say to him, hey, could you tell us where the newborn king of the Jews is? And so you can immediately imagine his reaction. It's a little surprise, a little shock, a little confusion. And then what he does is he, he calls the scribes and the chief priests because he realizes when the Magi are asking for the king of the Jews, what they're asking for is the Jewish Messiah. In Greek, that's translated the Christ, the son of David, the one who is going to save God's people and establish a kingdom. And so he asks the scribes and the chief priests, he says, hey, can you tell me more about this and the prophecies surrounding it? And so they tell him, they say, yeah, well, he's expected to be born in Bethlehem which was just a few miles away. And now to get the, the sense of gravity and the conflict going on here, I want you to just imagine some foreign dignitaries on an airplane 
flying into the United States, getting an audience with the president in the Oval Office, and then these people saying to him, could you tell us where the new leader of the free world has been born? How do you think a president would respond to that? Probably be a little confusion. Probably be <laughs> Twitter. Yeah, that's probably be some confusion. Probably be some questions. But then there would probably be some conflict. Because here we have two different rulers at hand. And so the Magi are saying, hey, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? And I, I love what Herod does here. He's trying to be low-key with his outrage. And he says, you know what? Hey, guys, why don't y'all go and find him? Do a little reconnaissance and then just come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. And so, as the song says, as the story goes, they travel those five to six miles down to Bethlehem and they come and they find, the well, this is after the manger, but they find Mary. They find Mary and a new king. And this king that they come upon, King Jesus, well, he's a lot different than the king that they had just met. Because King Herod, you see, he loved huge building projects and huge structures. He, he even built the Herodium, a fortress which overlooked Bethlehem. And so Jesus was born in the shadow of one of his buildings. And we know that King Jesus wasn't born in anything fancy. Instead, he was born among animals. He was born among the poor. King Herod, in order to come into power, he conquered a lot of people. And he was willing to steal, to kill, and destroy anybody who got in his way. We know King Jesus, he came to power. He came to power through an unexpected pregnancy by a teenage mom. King Herod, he built his kingdom on the backs of poor people, poor Jewish people like Mary, as they paid excessive taxes. King Jesus relied on poor people like Mary and her family to provide for him in his early years of life. King Herod was doing, he was willing to do whatever it took to retain power. He was willing to destroy anybody who got in his way so that he could save himself and his kingdom. And we know, as the story ends, that Jesus was willing to give up all the power he had. He was willing to lay down his entire life so that the entire world could be saved. This is a story of two very different kinds of kings. And as the wise men went to the house that day, they encountered a king like no one had ever seen before. They had encountered a king like no one would ever seen since. They encountered the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler of the universe. They encountered a king whose name was also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God looked down at the world and he saw how much sin had infected us, how much sin had affected us. And he knew that to fulfill his promises of establishing an eternal kingdom, a kingdom full of righteousness, peace, love, justice, and mercy, he knew that in order to send a king who would save his people and who would bring them back to himself, he knew that none of us could do it. Because our love for power was too great. 
Instead of righteousness, we oftentimes just want to be right. He knew that despite our best efforts to save ourselves and to rule ourselves, that we we couldn't do it on our own. And so he came down into the flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so he entered into this world as a baby. And that baby wouldn't stay a baby. That baby would grow up. And we know that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of love and he showed us how to live. He established a kingdom, not with force, not with coercion, but with love and compassion. And ultimately, he laid down his life and he rose again so that the kingdom's ultimate enemy, sin and death, could once and for all be defeated. And you would imagine that when God himself steps down into this world as a baby... When God enters into our world, the world he created, you'd imagine that everybody would be happy and joyous and celebrating, right? And at Christmas, a lot of times that's what, what's depicted, right? We have, we have nativities. We have one out in the lobby. I have like six in my house. And there at the nativities, everybody generally seems kind of happy and joyous that this king has entered into the world. But what those nativities fail to depict is that everybody responded to this new king in a very different way. See, some people resisted him. And that's what King Herod did. King Herod and his followers, the people who were working for him, they actively resisted this new king because they were worried about their own influence and their own power going away. And later on, after these verses, we see the extent to which they were willing to go to retain their own power and to resist this king because they wanted him dead. We read that Herod put out a call to kill every little boy two years old and under in the region of Bethlehem because he didn't know exactly where Jesus was, but he knew that he wanted to destroy him. He wanted to resist him, but thankfully God spoke to Joseph in a dream and he said to him, hey, Herod's after you. Go to Egypt. And so they went to Egypt and they stayed there for a number of years as refugees until King Herod died. See, some people resisted this new king. They didn't want him to come to power because it threatened their own power. But then other people, they just went on about their lives like nothing had happened. They just kind of ignored him. And in this story, that's what we see these scribes and these chief priests doing. They knew the same information that Herod knew. They knew that word had gone out that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, had been born. They knew all of the prophecies about this Messiah, that he was to be born in Bethlehem. They had this head knowledge, and yet in the story we find, what did they do? Nothing. They kept on going about their lives as normal. Perhaps because they knew that if the Messiah had really been born, then that meant that everything in their world was about to change. And they didn't want their worlds turned upside down. So they said, you know what, we'll just kind of move on and act like everything is normal and nothing has changed. But then there was another group. There was another group that welcomed him 
and worshiped him. And that's what we find the Magi doing. We find that they made that trek. They found this newborn king, a king who is probably nothing like what they expected. And these people, these non-Jewish outsiders from a foreign country, they're the ones who recognized who Jesus was and they welcomed him, they worshiped him, they fell prostrate. They knelt before him as a sign of reverence saying to him, hey, one who is greater than us has arrived and come on the scene. They worshiped him and they worshiped him through the giving of gifts, things that were very precious to them. Gifts like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know how long they stayed, but Matthew does give us a little clip of them leaving. And I love this verse, verse 12 in the story. He says this, Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And I love the image that that verse gives because it gives this image that they they took a different path home. They didn't see the same things that they saw on their way there. They didn't meet the same people. After that, everything was different. And it points to the reality that after King Jesus was born into this world, nothing was ever the same for them again and nothing was ever the same for the entire world. Some people welcomed and worshiped him. Some people resisted him. And some people went on about their lives like nothing had happened at all. This Christmas, you and I have a lot of choices to make. What food we're going to eat, what gifts we're going to give, how much we're going to spend what parties we're going to commit to, what radio station we're going to listen to on I-75 when the traffic is backed up for 75 minutes. We have a lot of choices to make. But the most important choice you and I will make this Christmas season is how we will each personally respond to the arrival of this new king, King Jesus. And this isn't just a one-time decision. This is a decision you and I have to make every single day. And I get that choosing to welcome him and worship him can be difficult. Because when we welcome Jesus, when we worship him and we acknowledge him as king, that means that we have to give up some things. We have to give up some habits. We have to give up some beliefs. We might have to give up how we use our money. We really have to give up our independence for a lifestyle of dependence upon this new king. And it can be a lot to give up to welcome him and to worship him and to make room for him in our lives. But the good news of Jesus and the good news of Christmas is that when we're willing to open up our hearts and our lives and give him everything, He gives us everything we really need. He gives us hope. He gives us joy, peace, patience, love, and ultimately he gives us the gift of salvation. 
And so I don't know if you're tired of hearing about Return to Bethlehem, which we've talked about every week since like July now. But this is why we host it every year. This is why we put a lot of energy, why we put a lot of our resources, why we put a lot of effort into it because we want people in our community to have a chance to slow down and to have an encounter with this true king at Christmas time. We know there's a lot of stuff vying for people's time, vying for people's interests. We know there's a lot going on, but we make space at our church. We make space in our lives by volunteering. We do all of that so that people can have an encounter and hopefully respond to this new king by worshiping him and welcoming him into their lives. And one cool thing is I was going back over the list of people who came last year. and Last year we had a number of people check in the prayer room that they wanted to welcome Jesus into their lives or welcome him again into their lives. And looking out at our church now, I know from people who requested information last year, we have a number of families worshiping with us, worshiping King Jesus because of their encounter here. Now they're part of our church and they've connected. And we want that to happen for more and more people here in Henry County and beyond. We want them to have an encounter and to welcome and worship him. And and my hope is that as we serve and as we host, that we will have an encounter and we will worship him and welcome him too. And so in just a minute, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing one final song together. And during that song, I want you to reflect in your heart in a, in a posture of prayer and you can, you can stay seated you don't feel like you have to stand up and sing you can come forward I want you to reflect in your heart how you plan to respond to this King Jesus in your midst this Christmas season how you plan to respond to him today and then after this song is over if you're willing to make the journey with us we're going to move outside And uh, you can go out this door right here. You can go out these side doors. We're going to go out to the return to Bethlehem Village. And I know it's it's a little mushy, but uh, it's not raining right now. We're going to go out there and we're just going to say a final closing prayer over that village, asking God to work in a powerful way. Asking that he would use us to help people have an encounter with Jesus. Asking that we would worship him and welcome him and we would help that for other people as well. So I invite you to stand, to reflect, and to sing.